Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of We Dive Deeper. This podcast has been born out of sheer disdain for boring everyday small talk. I can't stand it. You know when you meet someone new and you get past the how are you's and the what do you do, where do you live, how long did it take you to get here, all the really boring stuff. I personally want to dive right in and I want to ask them about their childhood and trauma they've experienced and their relationships and the really good stuff that makes a person who they are because I find that fascinating. But conversations rarely get there. So I have dedicated an entire podcast to doing just that. And without further ado, my first guest is Daniel Broadley. He's one of my nearest and dearest friends. He's also my bandmate, my one and only bandmate. Uh, shameless plug, we're in a band called Metal Art, check us out. And yeah, he is crazy talented, has some wonderful thoughts and views on things. And I can't wait to ask him these ridiculous questions that I have. Make sure you follow us on all social media. It's just at We Dive Deeper. And yeah, I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hi. Welcome. To? The We Dive Deeper podcast. <laughs> um, you're my first guest, so naturally there's white wine. I feel very privileged. Well, you are privileged. To be fair, if it wasn't for Dan, I don't think I would have got my head out of my ass and done this. So thank you. It's a very cool idea. I'm excited to be involved in it. So the way it's going to work, I've got 70 very personal questions. Are you up for answering them? I'm shitting myself. (laughs) I don't open up ever. Oh, well, uh, you're going to do it now in front of probably 20 people. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Okay, I've got 70 questions. Pick pick a number. Okay, uh, 29. 29. For no reason at all. I feel like I want to do a bingo voice. 29, 29, feeling fine. What did you last do for someone you really love? What did I last do for someone I really love? <laughs> Christmas. I mean, there's, I don't know. It depends on the scale of grandeur, I suppose. Um, You've done some wonderful things for Claire in the past, yeah. haven't you? Okay, so maybe I'll be slightly self-indulgent and on, say the biggest one I've ever done. But also, the most recent one would be just generally reassuring. So I, I'm, I guess you, the people don't know. I've been <laughs> with my girlfriend for six years in May. Six. Yes. six years yeah which is my longest ever relationship and um yeah i guess when you get to this stage like we still do very sweet things for each other but um mostly it's like reassuring each other that things are going to be okay like the future is quite daunting She's, yeah she was she turned 30 this year i turned 30 next year there's a big shift in our lives now yeah um some kind of a lot of it's just making sure that we're we both feel confident with what we're doing and yeah. i think the biggest part of a relationship is having that person you trust to tell you that what you're doing is a good idea or a bad idea mm. and you and you fully wholeheartedly believe it or even if you don't want to hear it um so recently it's about just being being that kind of person really and supporting her in her new adventures and helping her overcome she's the... she's had a loss this year like yeah, me right so, yeah so she lost her dad in uh, may to uh, may i'm pretty sure it was may last yeah yeah, yeah um and that was really tough how, how was that? April, as a it was April. My, part my of going through awful. that because I know for Josh it's been difficult. Yeah, I think uh, I think losing someone and now I'm realizing losing someone is different for every single person. Yeah, and I I lost my dad and I'm sure we'll end up covering that in some <laughs> other convoluted answer uh, question later on. But she 
um, yeah, I, from me losing my dad and her losing her dad, it was we were totally different parts of our lives and under totally different circumstances. So I thought I'd be totally qualified to handle that, but actually, like it's so unique to the person. But what it did and made me understand was it's all about patience and understanding and you, and and also letting go of the fact you can't fix the the thing that's happened. Like yeah. you have to just let that go. Like you. You can't for, be the hero. No, can you? you really can't. And I spend a lot of my life being that person who's trying to fix problems and in work and in people's lives and believing I'm some kind of like guru in that sense. And <laughs> and then it like out because of my like lively experience. And actually it all goes out the window because really you've just got to be there to offer a hug or space or whatever it is they need or think about things they might not think they need and offer it and Yeah. Um I mean I was very lucky that, that um Claire's an incredibly strong human being. And she like took charge of it herself as much as as anyone can in that situation, and and decided that she only was only going to let grief hit her for so long before she was like, I now have to just march forward and 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 let it become a part of my life and not let it stop my life. Yeah, it's it's really inspired me actually because I mean I put everything online and mm. it's kind of clear to see, and I've been very vocal about how I've been dealing with this grief, mm. which isn't very well, but. Because she always seems, and I'm sure there's a, so much heartbreak going on in the background, but it seems like she's just like, yeah, you know, this is life. I'm going to keep going, keep mm. going. And I'm sure that is her mentality. But it's, yeah, it's so hard to kind of think that behind that, there's still that yeah. immense struggle. And it's not something that you want to share because it's horrible. It's really tough. And, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think it goes away. Like, I think a lot of people, and social media is quite dangerous for that. You know, people can easily look at, uh, my girlfriend's feed, Claire's feed, yeah, and and think, oh wow, you've just kind just of overcome it. this thing, and and actually, I think she's behind the scenes very much. There's still day, bad days, and, and um, yeah, of course, she just uses her adventures, I guess, as, as a way to as medicine, I suppose, to mm. to help her focus on more positive things in life. Because I mean, grief and death and stuff is such a natural part, and yet so heartbreaking and so hard to deal with, and. There, you at first, I think, wanted to reverse those effects or like figure, you know, like have the life you had back. But it's just a total like, and, and I'm saying this to someone who you totally understand this. It just stops. Like life just see, will never yeah. be that life again ever. Yeah. It's now this different life, and and it, there's this middle period where it's muddy and horrible, and you're just sinking. But then there has to be this part afterwards where it won't be that amazing life with that person. It'll be just be a different life, yeah. with different people, and different things happening, and you have to make sure that there's still another way to gain positivity mm-hmm. and, and stuff from that so. and it takes so long to accept that because yeah. there is that kind of guilt in you that's like i don't want to just start being happy now or decide oh no i'm gonna make life good now i'm gonna try new things like even no. this today there's a there's a sense of oh is this kind of me moving on from that last section of my life right and yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's not that and i know that you know the cliche your mum would love you to carry on course, all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah. but there is that sense of I'm moving on now yeah. and I don't want to move no, on. No, no. And, and you know what? There's, there's certain parts where like at, actually when you do start moving on and you're, and I'm sure from this being the podcast number one <laughs> yeah. is that there's so many ways where you suddenly realize actually you're not moving on. You're just incorporating that stuff you've been through into this new section of your life and the grief comes with you. It's just channeled in a totally different way. It's like, you've, it's, a, it's going down a different tunnel Yeah. and there's one tunnel of pain and hurt and the other one is like, inspiration and it's actually suddenly you're taking the best bits of that person and i don't know yeah but but, i mean again i think you know with claire we we had this trip booked to iceland like we had it booked for like six months and claire's dad was like totally like so excited because claire got into photography i feel like this is her podcast now (laughs) claire got into photography through her dad um and 
he was so excited for her to go to Iceland and I think he passed away and the trip was like a couple of weeks afterwards and naturally like it was like we should just cancel this but they're just it was so much money and he was so he wanted her to go so badly it just seemed like that was not honoring him at all and by going obviously nothing fixed anything but I think very quickly Claire was realized that there was still a beauty in the world even when it was missing one of her core yeah so soon after as well to see that very quickly helped just her setting on a path of healing because it she it was tough it was a really strange trip and there was moments of incredible um i don't know like life lessons we, we, it was just amazing forever memorable for that reason yeah then. absolutely and i and whilst i was out there being an absolute video head i made a video of, I, I just make travel videos I just yeah do, i film she she i think she loves me for it but i'm always, always I'm like so throwing a camera in front of her face but actually when i got back and we put it to soundtrack and and, and i was filming every day of our trip and I called that video medicine for the soul because you can see her in it. Like just, it, we're very isolated. The Iceland's that, that's kind of yeah. the place it is. Iceland. Isolated. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's actually amazing. It's an amazing memory to have because it, it really represents all the pain she was dealing with at the time, but also how much of a strong person she is. Yeah. And Watching her lose a dad, did that make you think, did it, did it kind of like have similarities from when you lost your dad or was it really it was, different? It's really weird because I, I didn't realise that when I lost my, my what, dad. What age did you lose him? So I was, I was 13. Jeez. Um, I remember like, so my mum and dad had divorced and my dad had moved to somewhere in Dorset, I think. It might be in Bognor Regis. <laughs> Bognor Regis. Bognor Regis, what a place. What a name. I know. Um, and then he, I think his, he ended up... Um, he was always like a he always had a problem with alcohol right. massively and a big part of my mum divorcing my dad was never that she didn't love him I think it was like a you know it was the ultimatum was like if you don't quit drinking and whatever else um, I'll have to leave you leaving it in his hand and his lap to decide and he didn't um, and then I think the plan was that always he was going to go away and fix himself and then come back and rescue us because we you know my mum was um, we'd, we'd ended up I was born into a house that my mum and dad like were paying mortgage on and they couldn't my dad stopped working because of alcohol and then my mum was looking after like three kids and she was working part-time so they couldn't afford the house so they lost the house moved into a council house with my mum and dad as the divorce was unfolding then my dad went to like I guess Dorset and my mum we ended up in like a council flat like temporary housing it was in this really bad estate and I guess technically like rock bottom I, I thought at that point um I didn't really know she was 11 years old. It was, I thought the place was quite yeah. fun. Like I was around hundreds of kids. Yeah. And it was weirdly like what I thought was a cool complex, but there was like security guards and stuff on the doors and it was pretty sketchy. But um, yeah, and the, the plan was always my dad was going to go clean up and come back. And my mum was always like, you know, well, we'll be here when you're ready and stuff. But he just never quite fixed himself. And um, and now I know that he was dealing with all this mental health stuff, which I guess at the time... It comes hand in hand, doesn't it? Yeah. But you don't know that, obviously, well, when I, you're 11 I didn't. I mean, no, I was, I was... I mean, I guess when that happened, I was 10 or 11 in this council state. Um, and then my mum started a new life and just like, I'm going to move to Plymouth and, you know, I'm going to give up on waiting because we were in this council flat for like a year and nothing was... You know, my my dad was like not turning up at weekends, apparently to pick us up and, you know... he had Do you remember that stuff? barely right like and we got to Plymouth I remember it more and more there going to visitate because I think at that point we were we were going by visitation centers right. I think like he'd done something to like break the trust of my mum somehow I don't know and so we were we'd have to go to like a visitation center and my dad would come and it'd be like a monitored meeting and we'd go and my dad wouldn't turn up wow. my mum was very clever because she would then take us out for a pizza hut afterwards even if she couldn't afford it to sort of like 
steer our disappointment. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we're at this cool place. And now. you'll always associate those things. Oh, we had that off. Yeah, you don't really think about like, oh, the dad, dad didn't show up. Or yeah. my mum would be like, oh, I think it's in traffic. Or, you know, always different things. And it's sad because I guess my last moments of my memories of my dad were probably negative because he wasn't really around or whatever. When actually he was obviously battling pretty sad you know the alcohol thing wasn't because he was some horrible abusive alcoholic it was because he was mentally ill and depressed and didn't know how to get around that yeah. and w- was living in a time where men didn't open up and there wasn't really a fix for it and um what would you if you could say anything to him what would you say i i thought you, about this you recently ev- found out that it was suicide yes right? so yeah so, so we when i was 13 we we my, I think I guess to help make it easy to digest, my parents told me he'd had a heart attack. Or my, my parent, my mum told me he had a heart attack. All our family was on that kind of like that lie, I guess. Yeah, and I totally understand why they did it. I think you know, for a thirteen-year-old and my two brothers, one was eleven, one was nine, and we just moved to this new city and we were kind of getting our life together. And I don't know if it's would have helped to hear your dad's killed himself. No, um, that would only fuck you up. Yeah, <laughs> and there was always like a mystery surrounding it. Like it always felt a bit like throw away it was he had a heart attack and that was that right you know and maybe it wasn't uncommon because we knew he was a drinker so that was like but still he was only he was young um and then yeah i guess more recently my brother kind of went looking online he's just curious we've always had a bit of a bit of an inkling i suppose there's always yeah. you know, something just something tells didn't you feel right yeah and then he found an article from my nan who's trying to sue the hospital for letting him go because i think he went to rehab and they dismissed him saying he was fine and then six days later he like disappeared for six days and then hung himself oh god um, which is savage. And the, the sad part for me is, as a 13-year-old boy, the, the biggest part is not so much what I would say to him, but if I could have my life experience now, I feel like I could help him. Yeah. And when you're 13... I feel like you could help him Yeah, too. and I feel like... And I actually feel like my dad was always... The age I'm at now is like... I could have been my dad's son now. I don't think he was geared towards kids and the, yeah. the, and having... You know, he was dealing with demons. He needed like a friend. I don't yeah. think he needed like yeah. responsibility adding to his realization that he's terrible at like dealing with stuff yeah whereas now like i don't need someone to look after me i could help look yeah it's just it's very sad and tragic how it goes and definitely set me on a different course of life you know when you deal with trauma that young and the strangest thing is is like i don't so when you were saying about bringing us back to claire and how she lost her dad i i just thought like it was really sad and we were upset and then life went on (laughs) but actually like you fool yeah my, my my best friend was like reminded me that actually when I sort of turned to alcohol turned when I discovered alcohol as you do in your sort of teens I think I was probably I was late later than a lot of my friends more like 16 17 maybe when I first tried drinking yeah it wasn't like I suddenly became an alcoholic we were just there was parties all of a sudden and yeah we were skating less and there was other things in life apparently I was violent and like angry all the time and, and like sad and I cry a lot and alcohol would release that from me it was almost like I buried these emotions and just carried on with life because you have to like you know you're you're a 13 year old boy you, your friends don't they've never been through that they, at that point no one's really lost nans or granddads let alone mums and dads yeah there's no one really to be a bounce ball no. for it um and, no and if one... there's one thing that i have learned even in my tiny short time of mm. losing someone is that and this is no disrespect to anyone who's not lost someone close to them but it really takes being in it and going through it to understand grief because yeah. I, I'm not ashamed to say, because I can admit and say sorry, but my um, sister-in-law sadly lost her best friend to cancer. And I remember just not seeing it the way that I should and the way yeah. I see it now. It was my birthday a couple of weeks after she died. 
And um, I remember being a bit of a dick and being like, why don't you, why don't you want to come out for my birthday? <laughs> and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And I'm like, obviously she didn't want to, she didn't want to see anyone. She wanted to kind of be alone and just cry, which is what you want to do. But bloody hell, when I lost mum, I was like, everything makes sense now. I, yeah, yeah. It's the most kind of isolating, weird, unique experience. So there's yeah. nothing else like it. No. And I, and yeah, I don't think I'd, you know, I'd hit just peak or the beginning of my adolescence. So I didn't really, you know, I mean, that, at that point, I, I can't remember what it was. Is it like testosterone in boys is like peaking really <laughs> yeah. hard or something? Like all these like hormones are going crazy. So I, I didn't really like know how to deal with anything at all, let alone like loss and, and grief. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, it just, I, life just carried on and I just did. And it was, you know, I did, I was doing okay in school still. And, you know, I guess my dad hadn't been present for so much of that year or two years prior to that, that like, you know, I'd become my mum was was my figure so that she was still around and then my dad wasn't in the city I was living in so there was nothing reminding me of him yeah it was just a kind of sad anecdote but yeah it hit like 16 17 and three years later I guess three to four years later it just all came out apparently and yeah. and said like you know Anne's my best friend and uh, at the time it was just like if I went near alcohol into any party it would end up with me in tears or, or fighting or something god I can't I'm a scrawny little fight, kid but... so I don't really know how that would ever turn out um <laughs> And I think that went right on into like me being like maybe up to 20 years old um, until I sort of like maybe was coming out of adolescence and maybe just got a hold of my emotions and my hormones a bit more, understood myself a bit more maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was very interesting to hear that, like, that I had that experience and I blocked all that out. I had no, I had no memory of all these wow. things I was doing. I just assumed that I just glossed over it. And, and so um, how does your like film and stuff is, I, I mean, yeah, Dan does a lot of film, a lot of photography, and he's very good at it, but also very modest. But <laughs> Even genuinely cringing here, you say it, but yeah. Incredible at it. Thank you. Do you think those kind of life experiences and that child trauma made you go into kind of film stuff? Did that have anything to do with it, or was it just something you enjoyed on the side? Yeah, I don't. It, just for it, you know, it doesn't have to be for a deep answer. No, 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 no. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I, I definitely think, um, I think. The, all these things that happened. I mean, so, so when we first moved to Plymouth after my mum left this apartment, we, we she found a new guy. That's why we moved to Plymouth. She right, met this yeah. guy and he was really nice. and was like, look, I want to give you and your kids this new life in Plymouth. And we've, I've got a three-bed house and it's not a horrible council flat. And there's a school literally down the road and all these different things. And, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like a great opportunity to just go and start again. And he was lovely, I, we thought. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and we moved to Plymouth and the first year was great. And, you know, I had like a stepsister all of a sudden, kind wow, of. Wow, like, I didn't know that. So like, kind of. I mean, my mum mom didn't get married to him, but there was another person around. Yeah. So all these just different things happening. And I was now living in a city, not a little town. And there was a whole, it felt biz- bigger and, and there was more, it, it, there wasn't more opportunity, but it felt like there was. Um, but then very quickly that, that relationship went south. Um, and it's no detriment to my mum. She's just got this fiery personality. And I think a lot of people meet her and, Pegger as a thing and actually she's got so many layers to her and I don't think he can handle that kind of like that many layers to a person um and we it was really terrible end to that relationship and we were homeless for like I can't remember how long it was now for a couple of weeks maybe or a couple of maybe a month I don't know how long it was again it's hard to you sort of suppress it and it's it all happens so quickly that you don't really think about it in that way but um so the council when you when you're a single mom with kids you don't really go straight to the street. They're, they'll put you in like a bed yeah. sit, which is like kind of like a halfway house with like, um, where they have, they supply breakfast, which is like Cocoa Pops and toast and stuff. And so she was waking up in the morning and ironing our uniform and saying yes to school. It's like, to try and make it like nothing was happening. Right. It, it was, and we knew it, but like just to try and like it not be like a horrible turmoil that we could still live our lives and 
go and be normal children. Yeah. That, and then obviously a couple weeks later, my, so it was, I think that happened, and then it was like a year and a half later my dad passed away. So all these things happened. And, and bringing it back to the film thing, it wasn't necessarily the, the losing my dad, but I think a bunch of these things made me realize that there's like a super low point in life you can get to. Mm-hmm. And I channeled all of that into like a, my, my repair, my self-repair was to like never let myself get to that place again. Right. I would never want to, because a lot of people have a, a low point and it's not to say that my low is lower than someone else's low because everyone has their own shit. Yeah. yeah, totally relative. And like, but I definitely just knew where I didn't want to get to again. And I yeah. knew what everyone wanted to do in life had to be positive to myself and to hopefully other people around me and to allow me to have a life where I never dream of being rich and famous and all any of these things. I just didn't want to go there again. Yeah. And I think with filmmaking, there's a reward that comes beyond working. So I, that, I know there's no, like it's so easy for someone in a freelance position to, to go, Oh, if you work in an office, you're, you're a cog to the system. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. unhappy. That's not true at all. But I think I need to have something where I was happy whether there was money involved or not. Yeah. If it granted money, cool. If it didn't, it's fine. I still love it. Yeah. Because that way happiness would come easier in my mind. Like I wouldn't, you know. Because you're a bit of a workaholic, aren't you? Totally. You don't really yeah. stop. No. I, it- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that to, as well is me. Like I think, I do truly believe that um, depression and those kind of things are inherited as much as they are. Do you feel like they're kind of, they're kind of waiting for you if you oh, stop totally, they're there totally. waiting to yeah, like envelop absolutely, you absolutely absolutely my my tendencies outside of working are that of someone who is lazy and the attributes of being lazy sometimes can then lend themselves so, to depression <laughs> yeah. i think they can manifest themselves quite easy my, my get like i don't have a get up and go unless there's a purpose right and by making myself busy everything is a purpose everything is like a deadline if, yeah. even if it's on my own stuff it's like I'm making a, I'm writing a song or I'm doing something. There's still a sense of like, well, that's got to go and someone's got else got to listen to this. Yeah. I'm making it for that. Do you ever feel though that that stops you from actually dealing with any emotion? Do, or do you just feel like, well, no, you do probably. feel those emotions, 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 you put them into film and songs. You still feel them. I, no, I, I definitely, yeah, I definitely think they, I channel, I, I do think if I stopped, if I had a year where I did absolutely nothing, none of these things, shut my email off, phone was in a bin. Terrifying. I don't know if I'd be left with a person who is as active and confident and busy. Yeah. I think I would be left with like someone who's very, but, and also that might be conditioning as well. Like I've been busy for so long now that I don't know if how I do life without being, having these vices, but yeah. I'm well aware. I think that like underneath these things that that exists. And my brother, my, both my brothers have dealt with kind of mental health issues right. that have manifested in very different ways. My younger brother was severely depressed for a short while and it has those attributes still there's it doesn't go away i think you just find a management scheme mm-hmm. uh, my middle brother which i don't think he'd respect like me telling too much about it but he had a very difficult time dealing with emotions and, and was very violent at one point like emotionally uh, not physically yeah towards himself and others um especially people he loved yeah again he just moved away on a very on a whim and and that was his management scheme was to reset restart yeah so I and think he, he's like a different person now, isn't he? T- totally, him. yeah. Uh, but I, again, I don't doubt those things still exist in him. He's just found a, a way that he can live life. Them. Yeah, because yeah. we, we are we're these like we have a thought process, a pattern. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if we can as humans can just click our fingers and go, "I'm, I'm going to change." Oh no, you can, you can think about it and you can keep reminding yourself about the process of change and then and then act upon it. Yeah, fake it to make it until you've got so used to that process that you're just kind of it's it's happening on the surface yeah but the things inside like the the 
you know, it's like being a Mac or a PC. Like you can't, you can sit, no. like you can have a P- <laughs> so lame. You can have a PC that runs Mac software. <laughs> this is damn metaphor, by the way. Yeah, you can have a PC that runs Mac software, but it is not a Mac. Mm. It's a PC, and that's that's it. The internal things are that you can't change that really. I know you've got you've such ingrained patterns in us that we've yeah. learned from kids. Like they're kind of unconscious. Our unconscious mind is controlling the conscious yeah, one, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. it's terrifying when yeah. you kind of realise that. But mm. also quite liberating because you know once you see, oh, I kind of I think I just learned that from that experience in my childhood. You can see it for what it is, and it doesn't have as much control over you. No. But those ingrained patterns, like my relationship with food, for example, is fucked and god rest her soul rest in peace mum i'm pretty I mean, sure she, that was... She was i'm gonna just interject that when metal art first started we used to go over kate's mum's for dinner like joanna <laughs> yeah. would just she was like the feeder of the band she was <laughs> and the most wonderful spreads uh-huh. and mud house wine obviously yeah, yeah. but um she i think me and my brother and my sister we've all learned kind of terrible food habits mm. thanks to mum um and i like it's fine with it now i'm still dealing with it day to day but it's a it's hard to get out of those patterns Mm. they're so ingrained in us those things that we learn in childhood you can't really undo them unless you like spend days and months and weeks trying to undo Mm. them like they're hard it's it's yeah i mean i i don't i think as the the more humans can accept the the underlayers as, as who you are i mean i said that really badly then but like <laughs> yeah. the inside is you and those core elements are you just accepting it yeah and then and th- but then it's about you don't have to submit to it no especially with things like you depression. can still accept and still want to change it totally and and like find it again it's just management like human management it's like finding that thing which just allows you to kind of carry that that thing that is you into the into the, the world yeah because depression i think it's so easy for everyone to go fix it or the, you know I fixed it it's like I don't think anyone fixes it I don't think depression no. can be fixed I don't I you just there's good patches and dark patches and yeah generally I, speaking it's just like a way of just how do you distract yourself from it and and, and push it into something which is slightly more positive you know yeah because there's no way you can wake up one morning and if because it's all about that you know the levels the, the uh, it's obviously serotonin and melatonin if you wake up one morning and those levels aren't right, like that's just, that's internal. You can't just, you're not going to just go, well, I'll just get out of bed and do it. It's like, know, you're yeah, not thinking that way. It doesn't work like that. No, no, there's no way. So like, it's just, yeah. Although I have, I have really learned recently and it's a, something that I don't think I'm ever going to be an expert mm. at, but there are, because I'm an overly sensitive person and I 100% know that about me, it can be the smallest things that will make my mood just drop. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those moments now, I I do believe that it can be a choice to snap yourself out of that. Yeah. It's hard. It's yeah, really yeah. fucking hard. Well, this but is the in thing. those moments, I'm like, I am not going to let this affect my mood. No. I'm going to just switch back on and ignore it and let it go. Like my mum always was talking about this whole, you know, cars on a motorway thing. Mm-hmm. And you attach yourself to this one really, I mean, car thoughts. But um you attach yourself to this one car and you're like being dragged along in this motorway and it's really painful. And it's kind of like the same thing as attaching yourself to a particular thought that's really painful. Just let it go. Like, yeah, you don't have to hold it. forget yeah, about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Focus on something else yeah, that you do like yeah. for that one minute and you will forget about it and you'll feel happier totally. again. And it is again like sometimes it is that fake it to make it thing as well. It's like you wake up, you don't feel good and you're looking at things even in that first an hour of being awake, the things that maybe would make you happy for the first, like on a normal morning aren't. You have to just go, you have to sort of tell yourself that you, you are going to be happy or that you're going to find a way to the point where you then, act, you, I don't know, it, I just believe that it's not as simple as sometimes like there being these recipes to fix yourself because sometimes yeah. it is about just 
like faking it a little bit until yeah. until you believe that and then and then you'll find something because you'll see things in a different light in that yeah. moment um i don't know but it's different for everyone and i guess that i hate for it to be like as if i'm some guy that has it made and figured out i don't know you know yeah. it's, it's just there's i mean certain... none of us do no Fuck there's it. no way we do yeah um right give yourself some more wine i feel like it's time for a top up it is definitely yeah. time and i've actually got a question for you okay Hang on, let me find it Here's okay. One I arranged earlier. What is kind of the thing that's moved you the most or inspired you the most? Like, what kind of the fire in your belly? Um, I mean, I've told you the story outside of this podcast before, and I'll bring it back up again because I, I, it's a go-to for everything, really. Um, I, I'm not sure which part of the story to start. At. Okay, I, I got this. I'll start where I, I guess it, it started. <laughs> I got a message from someone. I it might have been on Facebook. It could even go far as back as MySpace. No, it was it was Facebook. It was yeah. definitely Facebook. Um, from someone who I maybe I hadn't really spoken to before. I don't. They weren't a friend particularly. They were just a, an acquaintance on Facebook. I'm not sure what that classes them as a friend, but it, they're not a friend. Um, and it was just like a message. It wasn't like a conversation starter. Was, she just popped up being like, "Hey, I haven't spoken to you in a long, long time. Um, but I just thought I'd let you know that my." uh my sister recently passed away from cancer um which is really sad she's like i've just come kind of come through i think this is kind of post the grieving phase right okay where she was like on the repair part yeah um, so it all the dust has settled it wasn't a recent thing um and she was like you know i'm sort of picking myself back up it's all you know things are fine life's moving on now um but i just thought i needed to let you know that um that she found a video and and the, the particular video she found like her sister she yeah. said my sister found a video of yours um about a year before she passed away and she uh was just so inspired by it about filmmaking about what it she just watched it and it moved her and it made her get a camera and she was obsessed in like making videos for the so for the last year of her life she was the most creative and inspired and happiest she'd ever known wow and it all come from this video and it wasn't like a music video or anything it was like i filmed my brother in my garden whilst i was testing my new camera maybe in 2010 right it was like a sunset my brother's in his dressing gown he didn't want me to film him at all <laughs> it was quite cool looking like it was it was like a fiery sunset happening and it looked really cool yeah and it, i think it was just him like removing a spider's web but it was i put it over the top of um how, is it how to well uh, to build a home is it it's oh build, cinematic, cinematic cinematic orchestra, orchestra. Uh, and it was a beautiful little like minute piece or whatever Anyway, she found this and that inspired to do this whole like thing in, in the last part of her life. And I was so, I was, I mean, I was in tears reading this thing wow. and it wasn't even like I could go and talk to this, this girl, this brave girl that was dealing with like the hardest thing you'd have to do with terminal cancer yeah. um, and, and help her or, or, or like say to get, I don't know. I didn't know what to do with it. It wasn't like, it wasn't an ego boost because that's not what it was. It was like this strange transcending feeling of like, you helped, you had no un- idea you were helping and you cannot reap the reward of it really no. because that person's now gone. Yeah. That you've influenced and it's happened and it's done its thing and they've disappeared. And now I'm just hearing about it as like a, as a retrospective thing. And as a creative, like I've always made at that point as well, I was very much, you see your results. You make, you do a song, you put it online. People are yeah. like, I love it. It's great. And you see that live and you go, Oh, thank you very much. I, I'm glad you like my song. And, you you know you can take that in any way you like it but this thing was so removed from that and yeah i i don't know if i've ever truly properly processed what it was about that but it that was certainly the most moving experience i've ever had and the most encouraging 
idea of what art should be. Yeah. It should exist and you shouldn't think about who's receiving it or you shouldn't make it with an audience in mind if it's for just arts purposes. Yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if you're assigned to a record label, they're expecting it, to, whatever. That's different. <laughs> Another story. Whole different but if it's art, if it's purely art for art, which this was, it was just, it was, I had no, it, was no, it wasn't a music video, it wasn't to get work, it was just, I feel my brother, I thought it looked cool exactly, for online. Exactly, yeah. There was something wonderful about it doing its thing that way. Yeah. And, and a good reminder that you should create for the sake of creating yeah. because you don't know who's going to receive it and do something with that you know yeah. it's, it's so much more powerful than you think it is because it's so easy to get i mean so easy to get mm. bogged down in statistics and all yeah. that boring crap that comes with music and film probably and every mm. other art form but to have someone like that completely take you out of it and to see actually none genuinely none of that stuff matters i remember hearing some somewhere once to the kind of the thing that you're meant to be doing is to combine your passion with compassion and that's always stuck with me because I just think that's incredible what a way to to keep kind of refreshing your brain is am I on the right path uh-huh. is this my passion and am I able to help people in it and for something like that to yeah just pull you out of your I don't know where you were at that time in your life but even now even yeah. now to kind of hear that story again and be like hang on is Am I still on the right path? Am I still thinking about this art in the totally, same way? Totally. And- uh, yeah, and it was exactly... I, I don't know what point she told... I can't remember how far after the video... Maybe it was like... It was probably during a point where I was definitely overworking, doing a lot of... I think you going to say overweight then. No, it? yeah. I mean, I might have been in my sight chubbier, <laughs> chubbier years. I don't know where I was, I was that wise. Um, but I remember at one point when I first started being freelance and filmmaking, I very much got caught into the sort of like just... Work was just coming to me and I was saying yes to it for sort of no real apparent reason other than money and and it, that it just landed in my inbox and I remember it being at a point it was a poignant time to get that because I could have so easily just suddenly lost my love for that for art for the sake of it being art yeah and actually it, it just helped me and the big the other big thing was in the message she said she didn't really want me to reply to her it was it was literally just I want to leave this with you yeah it, it wasn't like she wanted me to sort of pity her and to say my you know and yeah. that was even harder for me not to just open up to this person exactly. and be like oh my god I don't want to do with this information and I, I find it weird because even this morning, I was uploading my Instagram page to my patrons. Mm-hmm. I kind of realised, hang on, fuck me, I'm so lucky to be able to have the time, resources and money to kind of start something new. And right. I get to drink wine at 1pm. Like, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I was like, shit, I really want to thank these people. But to not, at that time, be able to actually thank a person. I had nothing to really thank, thank her for. Well, I did and I didn't. I don't know because yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was in tears. I didn't know what to do. I... I felt so awful that I couldn't reach out and do more for this person but that wasn't the point I'd done the thing had happened I'd done it without even that was the whole point I guess yeah. it happened without me trying and my if I'd known about that whilst it was happening I probably would have interjected and then it would have been a different situation yeah not necessarily a better one I was a catalyst and that's a weird thing to be um How, was, what an amazing story though it was incredible and you know, I I really can't remember who it was. The, the I don't think we've ever spoken since. And wow, I don't know if she's even online. I've got a weird feeling maybe I tried to get back in touch with her later, and I don't think she was even on Facebook at that point. So maybe if, I mean I'm sure Facebook has like the, the archive. Yeah. I'm sure if I dug far enough, I'd find it. But yeah, I don't know. It's just it's profound. It was. It's one cool that-, that even bless her this girl that now she's died she's still affecting your yeah. everyday life and yeah and, and the, in a way the amazing thing as well was was just she was in the message she sent me it was like such a positive message like she's oh yeah she's lost a little sister yeah, it wasn't like shrouded in grief and sadness it was it like it was a, total this... like thank you like amazing 
thing that started this thing for her and she was the happiest you know she she died with purpose and fulfillment and happiness and like yeah. fuck i mean how do you yeah that's just incredible huge. and also that you know and uh, maybe subconsciously as well it helps me deal with the idea of like being graceful in the face of like doom yeah. <laughs> you know what if we what if we do yeah i mean with, with cancer and stuff i mean it's just deep and dark but if you <laughs> get to that point like how do you go out with grace and dignity and this this girl is like a is a to- total like inspiration to me because she just went out with like she didn't just let this thing just eat her alive yeah. it's like she went out with purpose and that's amazing. Just amazing incredible what a story yeah amazing okay some viewer questions yes i've got my little notepad questions. thanks for did, the so did your did your viewers know it was specifically for me or was it general they did. okay right they did they did did that affect the questions i think it affected yeah i think it did mm-hmm. Okay, so Emmy Klein says, what is the most important thing you have learned in your life so far? Um, to not think about life as a race to get rich and get money. Like it. I think um, a lot of people truly believe that if they spend most of their life miserable in order to earn, they will then grant, find this moment of happiness and clarity later with the money. And and not in any sort of a disillusion to believe that we do need money to live, that of you can't course. just like... There's a level of comfort. Of, you totally. We have uh, to, in the Western world, you know, and, and living under a government and, you know, all that kind of stuff is you have to earn. But I, I, I do think that, that I, you know, work as much as you need to or, or figure out a way where, look at what makes you happy in life. Can you monetize that? Can you... Yeah. Or, or can you work less, think about less about the saving and the money and just live happily and yeah. enjoy the smallest moments in life. So that, maybe that, that's personally for me anyway. Yeah, and I think you're living out your testament to that. I hope so. Okay, so Swoop asks, not sure of your name, but I love you. You're a patron. How has photography slash film played a role in your perception of the world? Do you feel like you see the world with different eyes? And he loves your stuff and all your creative ventures. That's very cool. I'm glad. I'm very modest, so I find it hard to hear that, but <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, I, I'm obviously... On a physical sense, you do see the world differently, and I, I probably use photography to and film to exaggerate what I'm seeing. Um, and and I, I'm really I'm a I'm a geek when it comes to like researching like DIY lenses and stuff and ways to like make things look more cinematic. And I'm sure if anyone's seen any of my little adventure videos with Claire, they'll see that like I try and get this like very cinematic look at where we are. Um, so I think there's that side of it, and I enjoy going somewhere and seeing it enhanced through the camera. Yeah. I don't know if it makes me see the world differently, though. I think, and I'm actually trying to make a more of a conscious effort to enjoy places I go to, not just through the lens. Nice. Because for a long time, I definitely was just walking. So around. easy, just whip out a camera. Oh, I just have you to your face the whole time, and to like, you know, and and a lot of times I'm very bad at social media, which is strange because I, it's like an opposite thing. If fa- if blogging was a thing when I was younger, I would have been like a blogger. Yeah. I filmed every party, every time I skated, every. Every gig I went to, I was the guy with the camera and had a little flip screen and I'd be filming myself. Yeah. I've got dozens of DV tapes full of just footage of me, what is essentially blogging, but before it was called blogging. Um, and then I guess I just hit an age and got really self-conscious and never went in front of the camera properly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I definitely think like, but it's strange how now in social media, I've got an opportunity to like show everyone the world I'm viewing. And actually sometimes I truly believe that I, because I don't feel like I'm where I want to be because I'm always striving for more. I don't ever really show what I'm doing, like in terms of like a story sense. All right. you know, I, sometimes I'll post a picture from a week later being like, here's this mountain we walked up because it's a beautiful composed frame, but there won't be like shots of me walking up there on my Insta stories yeah. and stuff. And I'm, I'm maybe trying to get better at doing that as well because I think it's really important for people to see 
that yeah i get that shot on the side of the mountain but there's a lot of other stuff around yeah and there's also like a human element to it as well it's not it it can so easily look like this exaggerated moment of reality but it's just us having a walk in wales and it just looks really cool sometimes on a certain camera and i think a lot of people were like Social media is a lie most of it's the time. Ju- it's just a very, it's a glorification of life sometimes. It's a highlight reel. It's, it's totally, yeah. yeah. But I, I think it's really important to like show a bit more, you know. So I'm actually, I'm really trying to get more into putting the camera up and showing people the yeah, insides of lives. Yeah, I like that. And, it's a nice little yeah, turnaround. Yeah. Okay, last question. Oosh. It'd help if I actually got to it. Okay, Charlie on Twitter says, what makes you happy even on your darkest of days? So... I love this question, by the way. This I is like, like this question too. I recently had like, and I don't know whether it's because I'm I'm 29, about to hit 30, and everyone's always everyone always says like, you just get mature at some point. And I I very I've noticed brain wise, I'm definitely hitting a point where I'm not so erratic and and rushing to achieve goals now, that I'm just a bit slower, mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying stepping back a little bit. Um, I realized very a short while ago, probably through music actually mostly, um, that you should never make your goals your source of happiness. Um, nice. I think there's like, because you'll always be like, oh, when I get to this goal, I'll be happy. I'm not happy right now, but like when we achieve this and then either you achieve it and you realize it does make you happy and then you look for the next one or you don't achieve it and you feel this insane amount of dread and regret and failure. Um, so I made it my mission like a year ago to like find happiness in the smallest parts of your life. Like, tell yourself you're happy like waking up in the morning on one of those weird days where the sun comes through the window and you sat there with your coffee in your hand and it's that perfect like it's not too hot not too cold or walking down to the shop to get your boring groceries and like a cat comes out and you can stroke a random cat I don't know it sounds so (laughs) weird but like uh, you know and um finding like making those your source of happiness is incredible because you are always happy I'm always happy now yeah because I've I've let myself I let I've appreciated those moments like and 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 I dissected them and let them happen and not walk past them and if if I see that thing I'm like indulge in this for a second you're not in that much of a hurry yeah um so that that now my goals are just goals and I don't you know if I, if I have an amazing video shoot at the end it's nice but I'm not happy from it yeah they're just a great thing to have done and an yeah. interesting thing and will lead to another cool interesting thing to do and I'm and I'm a very curious mind so that's just curing the curiousness yeah but the happiness is the littlest things in my life and they're so beautiful and we really are in an era now where people just rush past that shit mm-hmm. to like, because everyone's telling you on the internet, like, but you've got to do this and this is going to make you happy. And you know, do all these amazing things. And I, even I know I, I admit those on my social medias. I, you know, I don't mean to be, but I'm so busy and I'm doing all these different vocations. And I imagine for people that are like, Jesus Christ, like, like how do you, how, how would I even be able to keep up with you doing something like that? But they're just things I do and they're yeah. not, they're not my happiness by any means. Yeah. And, the money I get from them isn't happiness. Nothing. The source of happiness is the smallest little yeah, things. Yeah, which is why I, why I kind of want to have these type of conversations because it's so. When all people know of us mm. is social media. Obviously, I'm fucking too open on social media if anything, but I, these conversations are important because I don't think anyone would know that stuff about you. They might just be like, oh man, he's he's doing X, Y, and Z. That must make him so happy. But mm-hmm. you're here like, yeah, it's cool to have those goals, but that's not what makes me happy. No, it can't, it can't be. Because I mean, those things are so subjective to like, how the world is working at that point. Mm-hmm. You're, you should never rely on anything or anyone for happiness. Happiness should be a source that you can provide for yourself. And that usually comes from viewing things a certain way. Um, otherwise, I think there's a constant sense of like, I will be happy when. And that's yeah. a really bad statement to it say. Like, um, but it's not easy. And I, and I totally understand that. Like I've positioned myself in a very, in a very lucky, I'm fortunate to be where I am. Basically I'm, 
I wouldn't know where to class myself in a demographic per se, but you know, I've, I have space to breathe. I'm freelance. There's days where I can just absorb things like that. And I know not everyone is blessed to have those kind of, that kind of uh, life where they can just take a step back and other things are on their shoulders. But I do implore anyone to look at these little things that that happen and exist. Things that we, that humans can perceive as beautiful and, and, uh, and also wine wine that certainly <laughs> heightens it food, you, know? <laughs> you know i mean they're, for example like when we when me and kate go away and, and write songs um we have these wine walks and they're incredible i do feel like when you're having a walk with a friend and a, and a bottle of wine your hand, so you know there's something magical about that um, yeah. something very good but yeah i don't know that's well know. thank you so much for coming and for being my first ever guest <laughs> it's been my absolute pleasure and, and um, long yeah. may these continue they will cheers cheers